nobody else was talking about it. And everybody would say, oh, I passed. Oh, I'm okay. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I'm the only one who failed. Welcome to Eyes Up, a podcast that champions representation, where we see you and give you insight on what the future of your career can look like. I'm your host, Dr. Damaris Raimondi, and we have a guest today. She obtained her Bachelor's of Science at the University of Miami, got her Doctor of Optometry degree at Salis University, class of 2014, and she is now the proud owner and optometrist of a retail franchise office committed to quality eye care for all people in need of care. Everybody, let's give it up for Dr. Camille Cohen. Yay! Welcome to the show. I did a shimmy. Thank you. (laughs) I'm hoping that for my listeners today, we can discuss the amazing things that you have done in your career, including opening up your own practice. On Eyes Up, we also celebrate our parents' hard work. So if you could share with us, yeah, what did your parents do when you were growing up? My parents were educators. Moving to the U.S., my parents continued teaching. They taught in Jamaica and in the Bahamas primarily. And when they moved here, my mother decided that the culture here was too different for her because it's usually a private school setting in the Caribbean. Um, So she pursued another passion and went back to school and became a registered nurse. And my dad uh, eventually went back to school and then got his PhD in education, technologies and leadership. So they were always learning. It was always a house of reading and studying. And I think for us, the most important thing to them coming here was to own a house. So we moved into our home, which I vaguely remember. I was really small, but I remember it being a big deal. And for them, everything else revolved around what we needed. So sometimes, you know, my dad might take an extra job. I remember he would throw newspapers early in the morning before going to teach at school or um, he had a night shift job that he told me about the other day where he would in, I guess that's the hardware department in Sears where you cut keys. He said he did that Mm -hmm. and that he was an insurance agent, he said, for a little bit. So he's very Jamaican in that sense. He had like 10 jobs. You know, it was always home cooked meals. It was always, you always have to sit at the table and eat together. As more family members moved up from Jamaica, it was always just fun because all of my cousins were extended siblings. And pretty much by Friday night, we had to complete our chores because all of our cousins would come like in a van with our uncles and aunts and stay over the weekend. And we'd have these huge meals almost every weekend. I wish I was there. That sounds like a really good time. <laughs> And, you know, they had so much schooling done that that just came naturally to you, I'm sure, especially since it was a family of studying and of reading. And what I want to know is what was your optometry school experience like? So finally getting into optometry school and starting was the most exciting thing. I think the thing that was different for me, having grown up in Miami, Florida, I was accustomed to diversity and being around people from different countries, different backgrounds, that was the norm. So encountering people who would say, I've never been around anyone who is different from me, that was really shocking for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grateful because my class was pretty diverse, I would say, but um, just meeting people who said, you know, I've only been in this small town my entire life. I've never known anyone who looks or acts differently from me. Blew my mind. Um, other than that, I would say I really enjoyed the experience. I was heavily involved with NOSA as NOSA chapter president. And so we did, I think, in my tenure, we did over 50 community service events, which was really important to me. And I just, I enjoyed, I enjoyed just getting to know people and seeing patients. I loved clinic. It was like my favorite thing. That was the best part, being able to like, actually help patients and apply what you learned all these years was so fun but let's talk a little bit more about optometry school I want to talk about your graduation day you were not celebrating a hundred percent why were you feeling a little conflicted that day at that point um I had received clinical honors. I had been inducted into gold key honor society we made it through all those classes Um, I had passed two out of three parts of boards, but I had not passed part one. And I really wanted, I'd set a goal for myself to make sure that I passed all three parts of boards before I walked across the stage. And I wanted to be like other people. I wanted to feel that I had job offers or I had a job secured and I'm ready to go and have the best summer ever. And I was thinking about, you know, having to, after this graduation, I have to go back to studying again. And, oh my gosh, this is going to cost more money. And woe is me. I'll never be an optometrist. Just being really, really hard on myself. And my mom, you know, reached out to me and said, listen, you obviously have not been studying correctly. We need to take a different approach. And my brother said the same thing and got me a tutor and I had to sit and and learn to listen because I was so stubborn and so set on doing it my way that I wasn't listening to them. And when I finally listened to them, I ended up passing um, on my birthday, September 24th. So Mm -hmm. it was the best birthday gift ever. And it eventually inspired me down the line to create the, the NOA tutoring program for people kind of like myself. Over time, I would speak to Uh, different mentors within the profession and I learned how many people struggle with boards and how common this is yeah extremely common Mm -hmm. to fail boards let me I want to repeat this for the listeners so failing boards is really common and I'm, I'm coming on the record to say it it's hard to say I've never admitted it before but I failed part one twice I failed it twice. I failed it the first time in March. I guess the next time was August. I just like signed up to take it. Wait, is that how it is? Yeah. And then and then the next time was oh. March again. And then yeah. I passed it. But yeah, this is extremely common and we don't talk about it. Did you tell anyone when you failed? Dr. Oh Cole? yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I did not tell anybody. Oh. Right. And that was the thing. No. My- my parents to this day my parents are just stop telling people you failed the test I said it's too late guys (laughs) what I do I share this you know they're just you're too honest oh yeah I was telling everybody I was you know bawling my eyes out and then Mm -hmm. nobody else was talking about it everybody would say oh I passed oh I'm okay and I thought Mm -hmm. oh I'm the only one who failed wow but when I passed 
different people reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I actually didn't pass. Could you tell me what you did differently, right? And in some cases, these same people were advising me how to study, okay? So I think that's a lesson, right? That's a lesson to kind of focus on yourself and focus on what you need to do for yourself. Um, You know who's really in your corner. You will learn that, Mm -hmm. stick to that, right? And, And understand, I've done surveys with students, surveys with doctors. It is way more common to fail a part of boards than it is to pass. And I want to put on the record that not just part one, I've had many students reach out to me and say, hey, I failed part two and I don't want anybody to know because it's the quote unquote easy test. I failed all three parts and I don't want to tell anyone, but I'm super depressed. We have to share these stories because that's the only way we can break the stigma of failure. And you cannot grow until you learn from your past failures. I actually love discussing this subject because I think that mm-hmm. even though that was a really tough time, it ended up being the inspiration so many for so many other great times. I find that some people, they I, I mean, I've worked with people who failed and sat in this failure silently for years, years, okay? Mm-hmm. And just by creating more of an open forum, a support system, it's very, very powerful. So thank you for having the courage to share that. I wish more people would do that. It hurt my heart hearing it for the first time from you, actually, hearing that there might be people out there, even in my class year that I don't know, that might not have passed. Right. And that that's like a reality. And since we don't talk about it, you know, I was certainly not about to admit it to anyone. And then it's just me suffering in silence. But now that we're talking about it, many of us have been here before, too. What I wish and what I always want to hopefully teach others is that if you know you're not ready to take the test, don't take it. Don't take it because it's the next time to take it or mm-hmm. I have to take it now because, because what? <laughs> There's mm-hmm. no alarm going off. Well, when will I get a job? You'll get a job when you pass. What is supposed to be for you will always be for you. You don't have to rush it. And I will speak to students sometimes and I, I, I recognize it because I, because I did the same thing. I'm very blunt, so I'll start laughing. Why would you do that? Why would you take these tests back to back? They cost so much money. It's so much stress, you know? And they'll say, well, just because, just because what? That's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. This is a test preparing you for your license for the rest of your life. You know yourself better than anyone else. If you're not ready, don't take it. That's what I fell into. That second time I was like, let me just take it. Because this is how things are supposed to be done. And I didn't tell anybody that I failed. So I felt lost then. So what are like uh, two very common mistakes that you notice that people do when they're trying to study for boards and take it again? If I had to break it into two groups, there are those who are like energizer bunnies. They want to study nonstop. They don't want to take breaks. They don't want to sleep. They don't want to eat. They want to just continue reading the books 
and review materials over and over and over again until they have memorized every word. And then you have the other group, and I was in this group. <laughs> I was I was in the Energizer Bunny group. <laughs> yes, no, no, no. That was that was never me. Um, I you have the other group who mm-hmm. just not focused, just inefficiently studied. You know, looking at something and then moving on to something else, but not organizing the material, not setting up a, a, a study schedule, um, not reviewing the material properly right and neither method works you have to take breaks you have to you have to uh, be conscious of the food you're eating getting adequate sleep sticking to a constructive study schedule that allows you to take those breaks mindfulness whether it's meditation prayer silence you know taking walks Uh, changing your study environment, all of these things have to be done in order for you to gain a level of success with these exams. It truly is that simple. That's what I had to do because I'm the type of person that could sit down and study for hours and I will not get tired. But what changed it for me the third time around was that I started doing the Pomodoro technique. And that's when you take frequent breaks so instead of studying like for four hours or five hours at a time, which is what I'm, I can do because I have the endurance of it, but it, it doesn't work for the type of endurance that you need for boards. So what I did is I would um, study for 25 minutes at a time and then take a five minute break. Another 25 minutes, take a five minute break. And that's all I needed. That was the only difference that I, that I did because I, I'm going to tell you, Dr. Cohen, I did not tell anybody even at that point that I had failed, but yeah. We're showcasing like, okay, this is what I was doing incorrectly and this Mm -hmm. is what I had to do to change. But it doesn't look the same for everyone, right? Yeah, it doesn't look the same. And we're doing more than okay now. I want to highlight that. So even if you did have to open up that email and you got some bad news about how you did on your boards, it's okay. It things life does go on, you know, for for better, for worse. And you can feel sad about it, but you got to see what didn't work and what you have to do to to change things and to get get that p get that pass let me just repeat again Mm -hmm. a lot of people have failed so it could be someone you admire there are plenty of successful optometrists who have encountered levels of failure and i personally believe that the most successful people have encountered failure success is not linear that's for sure so you passed on your birthday and now you are you feel like you're completely out of school and the real world begins what was your first uh, optometrist job like well you're you live in new york so you get it but mm-hmm. i feel like in new york it's different from how it was presented to me in school because the idea was you go to a private practice negotiate your contract and you're going to work in a private practice and Multiple people said, oh, well, you're in New York. You're probably not going to get a full-time job here mm-hmm. in one location. And that's how it started. It's not how it ended. That's how it started for me where I was working at one point probably six locations. My very first location was in Chinatown. 
going to different locations probably was the best thing for me. I learned what I wanted to continue doing and then maybe some of the things that I wasn't as interested in. I love that you said that. I have also spoken about this on Eyes Up. In New York, it's a whole different ballgame here. You don't find a full-time position starting out. You have to piece it together. And let me tell you, Dr. Cohen, how many of us were not willing to admit it. But looking back, it's like that's what you had to do. You had to piece back together your schedule. I was doing three locations working usually six days a week. I only did the seven days a week thing like uh, for a couple weeks, but no, that's what I was doing. And then it always ends up working out, but it was, it was certainly different. And it was different than the expectation of you're just going to start off at a private practice. I want to discuss a little bit more about outgrowing a job. What is that like for you? That was difficult. I got basically my dream job. So I was working full-time in a private practice uh, near my home, and it was a two-location private practice. The population was diverse. At one location, it was a predominantly Caribbean immigrant community, which was right up my alley. And I really loved that. It was just, it was great. You know, could do medical optometry, did specialty fit lenses. It was all that I wanted. And then... I started to feel as if I bought a shoe two sizes too small. I couldn't see where I was going to grow any further professionally or financially. I wasn't, you know, creating new goals because there weren't any new ones to strive towards. And that was really scary. So the question became, you know, am I going to move? Where am I going to move? And why would I? And what's next for me? And I had to sit down with a piece of paper and start drafting out what I wanted. And that meant admitting bigger dreams, right? Because obviously this dream job wasn't it. There were bigger dreams that maybe I didn't even want to speak into existence. So I had to be willing to do that. And after writing like some of those goals, and they were really to make it more tangible, I, I called it the five year and 10 year goals, so that I didn't have to feel pressured to, you know, change or move right away, because I wasn't, as far as I was concerned, I wasn't ready to make a huge transition. And one of them was to have greater autonomy and to uh, manage and uh, see patients completely on my own, manage a practice on my own. And I thought, okay, we'll make that the 10-year goal. 10 years, I'll feel ready <laughs> for that. And I have to say, after writing that on paper, less than six months later, I was made the offer to buy this franchise office. And that freaked me out. <laughs> Um, that was, Why did it freak you out? So that, your old boss was offering yes. you the opportunity? Yes. So remember, it's six locations I would fill in. After Chinatown, this was my second job that I was offered. So I would go here because I could also walk to this office. It's in my neighborhood. I just, I never leave Brooklyn. So <laughs> <laughs> this was an office and I stayed really close to them. I usually try to check in with old um, employers, you know, periodically. And he and I, because it's, it's, you know, right in the neighborhood, I'll always stop in and say hi. I always bring him a little gift for his birthday. We always kept in touch. 
And I happened to share with him that I felt I might be ready for a transition. And so he says, really? I didn't think you were ever going to leave that job. I said, me either. I don't know what's happening right now. Um, He said, let's go to have drinks. Let's talk about this. And he says, you know, it's time for me to transition. I want to sell this practice to you. And I laughed at him. I said, absolutely not. No, that's not. That's not what I meant. No, I don't want it. And he, he texted me. He said, why? Are you sure? I said, no, I don't want it. Thank you. No. I just didn't think it was attainable for me. Um, it was my 10-year goal. I, I didn't think I was good enough to do this right now. Uh, maybe in 10 years, I'll be a good doctor and business person. I will become that person then. I'm not that person now. And then he knew my brother. They have the same birthday. So, you know, my brother was my neighbor at the time. And he said, bring your brother over. Let me talk to him because my brother owns different businesses. And, you know, he knows how my brother thinks. So my brother came in and we had a meeting and he's telling my brother what he wants to do. And, you know, the asking price and all the stuff that he's, you know, seeing for me in the future. And I'm thinking my brother's going to say, yeah, this is not a good idea fine. We get out, we turn the corner and he said, are you nuts? This is amazing. This is the perfect opportunity for you. You have to take it. I thought, what are you, what are you talking about? And then he did the thing that siblings do. He calls my parents on speaker and tells them that Mm -hmm. I was going to give up this amazing opportunity. I was making this terrible decision and they start fussing like, this sounds incredible. You have to take this offer. And truly, Dr. Raimondi, I thought they were all crazy. So um, <laughs> I sat there quietly throughout mm-hmm. this whole process because he, he needed to leave um, quickly. And so the process was not long. I, I mean, I wrote it down on paper and within six months, not only was the offer made, the papers were signed and hey, yeah, I own a practice. I just saw the work that was going to be ahead. And even though my brother said, oh, I'll help you and I'm going to help manage, he has no optical experience. And like I said, he owns other businesses. So I knew it was going to fall more so on me, right? Mm -hmm. And then you add fuel to the fire. We sign the paperwork and two weeks later, we have to close down because it's COVID. So this was around March, Mm-hmm. March 2nd. And then um, I was in shock. Um, so then that was terrifying because I just knew we were going out of business. I just knew this was an investment that was going to just go to waste. And I made this decision and, you know, this is a terrible decision. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, uh, but that was I was wrong. <laughs> Thank goodness you were wrong. But that must have been terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. It was, I I remember Mm -hmm. the mindset that I was in right around this time. I was so depressed at the time because, you know, everything was shut down. And, you know, my mother had to say to me, she said, listen, you're not the only person. The whole world is going through this. Everything is shut down. So you have to know that it's going to be okay. Life is going to bring these dark moments, but that just helps to cultivate something greater, right? And I think that's a recurring theme where it comes about and I had to really reflect on it and accept that and move kind of in faith that this is going to be okay. 
Uh, I think sometimes we want instant gratification. We want everything to be perfect and to look a certain way, especially like with social media, things have to look a certain way. But if it's not really okay within, if it's not okay with you at your core, it will never look okay in reality. Life just keeps going on and we have to have to keep trying. And with that being said, what words of wisdom would you give to an optometrist who has been out in the real world for a few years now and feels unsure of the future? When you say I'm unsure of the future, I always want to know what is it that you feel unsure about? One, do you still want to be an optometrist? Um, You know, sometimes the, the uncertainty is rooted in that fact. You don't want to be an optometrist anymore. Okay, sit with that a little bit. If that's the if that's the fact, if that's the root of the uncertainty, what is it that you want to do? What are your passions? Can you align some of those passions with your current profession? And if not, what profession would allow you to align what makes you happy in life? And by I'm really, really big on writing things down. If you can answer that question for yourself, am I happy with what I'm doing right now? If I'm not happy, what is it that I want to do? How does this align with my passions and my purpose, right? Then writing that out. Because when you write it out and you see it visually in front of you, I feel like it helps you to brainstorm um, a game plan for the future. And part of the issue is that we are afraid to do something different. I just explained how terrified I was. Owning a practice was never in the plan initially. Like in school, I said, I want to show up to the office, see patients, go home, Mm -hmm. catch flights, not feelings, live (laughs) the best life. Yeah. And I did that. I, that's Mm -hmm. the thing. I did that for a few years and then it wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. That was terrifying. And I had to sit with myself and say, okay, what is it that you want to do now? I had, I had really checked off all my goals and that's what was making me feel stagnant and that I was outgrowing everything. I wanted to work in a private practice. I wanted to do medical optometry. I wanted to travel and have a good time. I wanted to do mission trips and community service. I did all of it. And now I was bored and now I was not happy anymore. And I needed to find a new challenge, really, and a new purpose. And I had to align that purpose. I've said, okay, I want more autonomy and I want to become a better business person. And I want to be able to do more community service and mission work. How can I achieve this? And that's how I had to write it out and make that decision for myself. Optometry is a lifelong career, and I think we only get to see that after being a few years out. After five years or four years, you kind of do already check off all the things that you had in mind, and you just got to keep on creating more goals. And I love, Dr. Cohen, that you mentioned the fact that sometimes people don't want to be optometrists. And that's okay if that's what you that's what you, you feel is your desire and what you're feeling conflicted with right now. You are not the only one. I know plenty of people who have gone and pursued 
other endeavors who have sold practices. I mean, I love it. <laughs> yeah. And you got to do whatever, you know, sparks joy in you for sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. absolutely. We have one life to live. If no other year taught us that 2020 mm-hmm. taught us that you have one life, right? You, you are not promised tomorrow. You need to do what's going to make you happy today. What I want you, my listener, to take from this episode is that there is no single picture-perfect experience that leads up to success. And that's because how things, the way things really turn out, that ends up being so much better. And also that together, we can go so much farther. Dr. Camille Cohen, if we need to find you on Instagram or if we have any questions, where can we find you at? It is Dr. Camille F. Cohen Optometry. All of that will be in the show notes. Please, if you need help, you want someone to talk to, we are here. And if you love this episode, share it with a friend and leave eyes up a rating and review. The ratings allow more listeners to find me, which is what I need to keep bringing you this revolutionary content. And for a deeper dive into the topics we covered today, follow me on Instagram at IzaPod. And if you want to talk again about more about today's topic, you can email me at eyesuppod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, say bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. (laughs)